October 23rd, 2021. It's a for Pedro show.
I'm a sure fire lover and I always hit the spot. I'm a sure fire lover even when I'm really not. Well, I burned some bridges and I made mistakes. I've been accused of being blinder than Blake. Ain't that a sure fire lover? Watch for Pedro Show. Happy Saturday. Started off with impressions recorded live in uh, Antibes, France, July 27, 1965. Juan Lestines, John Coltrane. And yesterday I got his uh, Love Supreme uh, live in Seattle. I listened to it. Uh, I just turned it off. 18 straight hours. Of course, somewhere I was coughed. But... And then we heard uh, Nicholas Tremulous in The Prodigals. Surefire lover. Although I, I think he's wow. man, I think he's man alone there. But uh, you can probably tell I'm not I'm not man alone because of those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. I got Nicholas Tremulous aboard. How you doing? Hey Mike. Okay. Big uh, thanks to Chris for the connect. Uh, I want to learn about your journey through music, Nick. All righty. Please bring your earliest musical recollection, memory, whatever. Um, probably my earliest recollection of music is hearing Charlie Parker on a 78 and crying because I couldn't understand it. Whoa. My, my dad played uh, amateur bebop piano, very much like Bud Powell. Whoa. And Great. mother sang blues and her voice sounded a bit like Dinah Washington, which I could understand. Yeah. And my dad, I told my dad, I can't understand this Charlie Parker stuff. And I burst into tears because he would listen to it so much. And so my dad taught me I've Got Rhythm. And then we played Salt Peanuts and he said, sing I've Got Rhythm. And I learned what bebop players were doing over those songs. And that's my earliest recollection is, is my dad taught me to be a musical archaeologist that everything was understandable as long as you got to the root of it. Salt Peanuts, uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Now, both, you're not alone because Cab Calloway fired both Diz and Bird for playing what he called Chinese jazz. Yep. <laughs> he had the two I, best beboppers and threw them out. I know Louis Armstrong said those guys are playing all the wrong notes, right? <laughs> I'm doing my radio show. I uh, some uh, bullshit caller. <laughs> Okay, uh, so you had a piano in the pad you grew up in. Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, that was everything to me. At, at like at, at around four years of age or something, there was a Bach piece played on the piano, and Bach is sort of like, you know, he's playing that God's math thing, and it's sort of <laughs> like looking at an M.C. Escher painting, right? I mean, it just keeps revolving, and it defies gravity, and I started playing it, so my folks threw me into piano lessons, which I didn't do well at. I would just learn by ear because um, I was, at the time, d dyslexic, but people didn't realize it. I was just very left-handed. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, McCoy, and, uh, I was reading McCoy Tyner was left-handed, and that's why he played uh, the bass notes the way he did on the piano. He'd come yeah. down from a, like a... Right? He didn't have his fingers just resting on the keys. He came down like a few inches. So no, he, he, smacked, he smacked it like the piece of shit it was. <laughs> you know, and that, that my father was left-handed too, so we oh, had strong left. Okay. And, but I play guitar right-handed because it just made no sense to me left-handed. You know? Kate, uh, on basses <clears throat> like that, she thought the, the, the hand with the had all the action was the one on the fretboard. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, if I was a bluegrass player, I probably would have felt different about finger picking that style, you know. But I ain't blind Blake. I'm I'm seeing Nick. So, <laughs> okay. what was the first record point. you bought with your own money, Nick? First record I bought with my own money was Revolver. Beatles. Yeah. And first gig you went and saw. 
<laughs> well, it was my cousin's band. It was called Ezra Liege. My cousin was a guitar player. He was a session guy for Kurt Tom Records. Oh, and he Kurt, had a glam. You're talking yeah. Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, he's the first rock star I ever met. Wow. And um, I saw Curtis and, uh, Mayfield's last gig before that fucking thing fell on him in Brooklyn. Played here in Long Beach. Where I'm going to play wow. tonight. Yeah, it was a free. He was doing a tour of uh, city halls, playing for free out in front of the different city halls. And I saw him in Long Beach. Across the bridge. You are a lucky man. Yeah, he's lucky... beautiful, beautiful. You yeah. know, going back to the impressions and so, so you, your cousin's gig was your first gig that you witnessed. Yeah, he was in a band called Ezra Liege, and they were auditioning for Columbia Records, and it was them, and I believe it was the New York Dolls and Aerosmith, and they were all playing in a high school gymnasium for these A and R guys. <laughs> what a trip. And I was, I was twelve, I was eleven years old or something like that. So the first thing was weird was seeing your cousin with a feather bow on and, and makeup. <laughs> but yeah, but that was the first time I'd ever heard really loud music. And then it was just, you know, kicking into your teens and, you know. Well, let me ask you this about a school. Were you in the choir, the marching band or shit like that? No, no, I, I, I barely talked. You know, I really <laughs> picked up the guitar because I couldn't say things and I figured I'd be able to say them on the guitar better. And, and, um, and I wanted to get laid really bad. You know, I was young, dumb and full of cum. And that was the instrument that was going to get me there. And it did, you know. And not the piano. Yeah, you know, I mean, all I had to do was go to like a party at someone's house and, and I learned Stairway to Heaven, which I never liked, but I knew all girls liked. And, you know, you'd go to a party and there were no parents there and you'd say, uh, oh, you like Stairway to Heaven? Hey, you go on a guitar and inevitably all girls had an acoustic guitar in their bedroom. So that was my way to, you know, teenage sex. <laughs> and what, and what about uh not after school like graduate but in the afternoon did you do the basement band garage band bedroom band? oh yeah all the time and you know back in those days everybody had semi handmade terrible amplifiers and we were all just trying to get louder than the next guy yeah and i can remember coming out of those basements sometimes and everybody's voice sounded like donald duck we were playing so loud that my eardrums turned everybody into a, a, a cartoon character for a while you know what but about, that, what just about, awful what about the material were you guys you know? writing your own stuff or were you trying uh, like me and d boom we were trying to copy songs off records we were copying songs off records and we were, of course, I was, you know, was a, I was a bar chord kid like everybody was. And I wouldn't play no sissy chords and stuff like that, except for the Jimi Hendrix chord, which we all loved, which is that sharp nine, I guess yeah. is what they call. And uh, so we're playing everything wrong, but we were playing Freddie's Dead because we're Chicago guys, you know, and because I had the badge of honor of meeting Curtis Mayfield in the studio with my cousin one time. Wow. And so so we did Freddy's Dead, but we did Smoke on the Water and we did, you know, Born to be Wild and all that all that stuff that you could learn really quick. I think every generation has a tune they can learn really quick, you know, <laughs> taking care of business. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, it's just whatever you can learn and whatever's right. going to get you paid. Bachman, right. Bachman Turner Overdrive. It's a big oh, hell yeah. band. You know, radar love. <laughs> radar like love. That. Well, that's built on a bass line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bass was always my thing. And then, and, and you know. What? Um, what, what do you mean? I thought you said I, acoustic guitar play. was. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I was also a singer and I became a singer. And I, I realized that in all the songs I really loved yeah. and growing up with Beatles yeah. and listening. Motown, that bass was the second melody. Bass was the other singer on the record. James Jamerson, Motown. And uh, Curtis Mayfield what? had a guy named Lucky. Oh, he was great. That's, Lucky. 
He's all Lucky. over that Superfly and, album. No, right. And when Lenny Kravitz first came on the road, he had picked up a band out of Atlanta and LeBron Scott, his brother, was playing bass with him. And I just fawned over this guy. I like pushed Lenny out of the way to get to LeBron Scott <laughs> because I lived for that band, you know. Wow, wow! They so, were my, they were my, uh, you know, apostles into music. Now, did you have a bass guitar as a teenager? No, I never did, but I always respected it. Uh, I, the, a kid named Derek Brand, who was a little older than me, who's actually been in my band since 1982. Whoa. And still is. 39 was just years. Bass player. And to keep me out of the way of his notes, he taught me the importance of bass. It was really self-preservation for him to stay off the instrument, I think. <laughs> but, but because of that, when I write a song, the bass line is always something really important to me still to this day. And when there are certain periods in time, like the grunge scene where the bass kind of took a set, kind of became more of a tonic instrument, and didn't do as many bass lines, it was hard for me to join in on that because I wasn't hearing the bass as the other thing that I heard. Oh, next. It got more yeah. intense than that, Nick. There was bands, we don't even need a bass player, right? Yeah. And What's I was that just like, about wrong. That poor, lonely kick drum. Yeah. I just, I don't like that. You know, I like the way drums sound in a room. I don't like the way they sound through a PA system. And I'm not that crazy. You know, I, I've used samples. I've used all kinds of stuff. But I really need that bass line. You Otherwise, gave me this uh, what's song the here, uh, Red Line. I want to play this, okay? Okay. It was on a red line train Just before you see the sky and the tunnel moaned and weaved With the white lights flashing by And I thought about your eyes As the train began to climb But I knew that I was gone Out of sight Out of mind The tracks ain't never real It'll fool you every time And the tracks ain't made of steel On the red line of my mind And I thought about your eyes And I thought on different times But I knew that I
and white eyes in a prism Ignorance dissolves into a single blazing color Have a right Now the speak For the purpose of gain Trust is a must Of the spectrum in a prism Percolating, circulating Everything to everyone Looking up Noticing The grand spectacles of the first balloon flights The trip is a trip
You can just run it. show red line nicholas tremulous and the prodigals then uh the collab i got with uh, sam lockboard iowa city called slwscc watt uh, for our new uh cassette ep as we call it the fashion uh victoria shin with an excerpt from her kolaka live set cure from her brand new album silently thud she might play on this thud album it's your buddy Glenn. Save the world. Guy by voices, Bob Pollard with another batch of tunes. Black and white eyes in a prism. And finally, Nicholas Tremulous and Prodigals with Stick It to the Man. So, 
Can you remember the first song you wrote, Nick? Yeah, it was called, it, you know what? I live in, um, I've always played in all kinds of bands, Latin bands and all kinds of stuff, but I, I joined a band with some older guys and he says, we shouldn't even be in a band unless you see this band that's in the bars right now called Cheap Trick. So I went out with uh, my my friend and saw them and I really started writing a lot like Rick Nielsen and it was a song called Boys Night Out. And it was the first time I'd ever stepped in a studio. It was a 16 track machine, you know, with two inch down in a basement studio and recorded for the first time. And I felt like my whole world opened up, you know, the song itself, you know, when you when when you're a kid, I don't care you know, you know what anybody says. Some kids are very enlightened, but I was not <laughs> lyrically yet because I was a reluctant singer at first. Um, and. I was all about trying to be the greatest guitar player that I could possibly be. And so, yeah, the song is shit. I, I hope I don't remember it. You know, <laughs> it's Hallmark cards when you're a kid, you're writing Hallmark cards and you're writing about girlfriendy shit and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I remember it. It sounded a lot like, uh, oh God, Hello Kitties or something like that, you know. Mommy's all right. Daddy's all right. Yeah, that kind of vibe, you know, the bunny vibe. Just because we were we were all crazy about Bunny Carlos. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I think he's Mr. Nielsen's got his son on the drums now. Yeah, which is a little weird because yeah. I play in a band. Now I play with Bunny Carlos in a band called Candy Gold with John Stewart from Wilco and uh, and Rick Rizzo from Eleventh Dream Day, and um, that's kind of a oh, dream come true to me. Yeah. Doug, uh, the bass man Doug was in that band, right? He went on to do Tortoise later. 11th Day Dream. Yeah. yeah Doug McComb. Yeah. Doug's good guy. Yeah. They got the new album out, actually. It's really good. It's fucking beautiful. Oh, they're, they're still together. Okay. Yeah. They just, every, they don't, it's not like they play together all the time, but, right. you know, every three or so, another album comes out, you know? Can you remember nice. your first gig? What? Say it again, please. Can you remember your first My gig? My first gig? Yeah. Um, it's really weird because my cut, I bought what, what used to be called, do you remember when, when you could buy a guitar in a shopping mall, the old shopping malls? And I spent, you know, my parents had bought me other instruments and I bought my first guitar and it was, it looked kind of like an ES, but it smelled like balsa wood and weird glue. And it was really cool. And my cousin came over and it, it had, you know, it had piano wire strings on it. And he put a, a pair, a set of super slinkies on it. And right before the gig, he said, let me come over and just check it out and make sure it's okay. And so he grabbed my guitar and he started moving the neck while he's playing. And I said, Dino, you got to be careful. I don't think it's built. And he snapped the neck off my guitar. Oh, shit. Now I had a first gig the next day, man. And so <laughs> with his and bare hands, he, he didn't drop it. He actually pulled broke the neck off. In half. With his hands, he broke it in half. Fuck. And he said, look. There's a guitar in my trunk. Go get it. And so I pulled a case out of out of his trunk and I opened it up and it was a Dan Armstrong clear guitar. Wow. I said, well, I guess. Are you lending me this? He says, no, I'm giving it to you. Have a nice first gig. And he walked away and I said, thanks, Dean. And he said, fuck you, Nikki, and drove off. Yeah. <laughs> and then I played in a basement. In ben <laughs> yeah, I played in a basement in Bensonville and we knew. Um, we knew like it was a lot of Latin Kings at the party and we knew like three songs. And finally, one drunk guy came up to me and said, give me that thing. I can't stand here in the, the same three songs. 
and I knocked him over the head and knocked him cold. Those and were heavy-ass guitars. Years old, and I already was using the thing as a weapon. Yeah, but those, those, those lucite. You could hurt something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're made yeah. out of. Lucite, plexiglass, some shit. Really yeah, strong. They were heavy. Yeah. So first gig in a basement, getting a fight, knock a guy cold. And that Latin, and Latin kings too. Some gangsters. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. So that's memorial, uh, memorable. Yeah, memorable. That an easy gig. <laughs> and, and what was this band called? Uh, Evil Grace. <laughs> Don't ask me All I know is this, this a chick I know made us T-shirts that with sequins spelling Evil Grace on it. You know, this was still at a time where glam was cooking. So sure, sure. did most of my shopping in girls' clothing stores at that point, you know, because you could never get anything hip in Chicago unless you went to a place down, downtown called Smokey Joe's, which had like... Real soulful kind of clothing, you know. Big lapels. Big lapels. Flag Brothers shoes was next door. I had, uh, I had uh, platform shoes that were suede with red piping. Whoa! You know, you know it was good, gig, man. First gig me and D Boone saw was T Rex. Nice. Yeah, nineteen seventy three, and uh, we were young man, what fifteen years old or something, and uh, yeah, I. Actually, I thought John Fogarty, you know, flannels was his kind of rock and roll shirt. You know, Mark Bolin had a boa. Yeah. And uh, you know, I didn't know anything about farmers or lumberjacks and shit. I just, I couldn't <laughs> figure out those bass lines on the Creedence records. You know, his mother wanted us to be in a band right away. So I oh. thought, I looked at the album covers and I thought, well, maybe if I wear the singer's shirts, he'll still like me. Because <laughs> I could not figure out what that dude was playing. Stu Cook, I can nowadays but not in those days thank god for mr J jamerson in that motown bass that was my biggest teacher and then overseas with uh jack bruce those people so uh oh yeah what 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 became of uh evil grace you know the drummer it turned into a guitar player and i believe he plays in wedding bands and things like that and the bass player always had a mind for tech and he went into tech you know you know, the the thing about growing older, I'm 61 right now, and, yeah. and, and it's a lot of guys fall by the wayside as you move up. Oh, yeah. And it's, you move up, but you continue, you know? It's just, you know, so you deal with that. And then this amazing thing happens when you get older is you start being able to hear all kinds of music at the same time, and they can too. And people start all knowing who the boss is, and it's the song. It never was a guy. It's just a song. You let it tell you what to do. So yeah. it's a beautiful thing to be an older musician, you know, in that way. We, I don't have to talk so goddamn much because we all have sort of a shared thing, you know? You're talking experience. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a nice thing. And people just realize that, you know, you know, we just did one of our first shows doing this record. We do a version of um, I Want to Be Your Dog. Right. And we do Stooges as a hymn. Basically, I just heard it in my head that way. But at the end of the night, we did we did it Stooges style. And in in the middle of it, we play a love supreme because I there was a certain point in my life where I realized they were these exact same song, you know. And when you put them together, it makes total. I told the horn players that and we didn't rehearse it. I just said we're going into a love supreme in the middle. And they did. And it was beautiful. <laughs> so you, know gorgeous. you know, I helped uh, them for 125 months. Yeah. Okay. Every time we did L.A. Blues, 
We'd always go into LA Blues after Funhouse. And during the wow. the wipeout part, you know, I would play the bass line of Love Supreme under it. And it was cool with them. I put in a little uh, giant steps too, but yeah, always. And sometimes Brother Steve would come in on the sax and Scotty would play the drums to it, sort of. But yeah, I, you know, Upper, um, upper Egypt, Lower Egypt, that's the bass lick to fucking Little Doll. You're, you're right. Music is music. Totally right. Well, man. you know, that, that's the funny thing. And I think why we were attracted and why you were attracted to, you know, the British blues bands and stuff like that. When I listen back to like Whipping Post, even Whipping by the Almond Brothers. Yeah, I know that one. That's I, a bass I kind of realized, and Manic Depression by Hendrix and ah, all that. I kind of right. realized. Everybody's chasing Coltrane at yeah. those years. Well, you know, we're there's all... an interview where he said Mitch Mitchell is my Elvin Jones. We're at the end yeah. of the first uh, first hour, October 23, 2021. Dishwap special guest, Nicholas Tremulous. Hold tight for hour two. October 23rd, 2021. It's the second hour of Watt for Pedro's.
it would now The sunlight from the rain A window from a heart The center of the night The jury's bad decision Just start the second hour off with Dumb City, dumb fucking host. <laughs> Nicholas Tremulous and the Prodigals, Dumb City. Landowner, Extreme Youth, Howie Reeve, Lotman, Andre Vita, Matang, See in the Winter, ID DeFemel, and an idiot, Nicholas Tremulous and the Prodigals. And 
just like deja vu all over again, people. Sorry, Mr. Mm. Yogi Bear. <laughs> um, prodigals, enlighten me, please, Nick. Uh, you know what it was is that, is that I went back to starting um, writing for a large band again and, and just making demo tapes with samples and stuff like that. To, and I sort of brought started. Uh, I've always had a band name and I, we were called Nicholas Tremula's Orchestra forever. And I said, OK, now we're actually in an orchestra, but I got to let people know something new's happening. So it just kind of came to me. And, and there were nine of us in the band at the time. And uh, so I called them the Prodigal Nine which I thought was a, you know, kind of a cool name. And these were musicians I knew from, you know, AACM groups, uh, people coming out of, a, you know, that whole uh, art ensemble of Chicago to yeah. people that were playing in Latin bands. And I just pushed them all together to try to make this new kind of street folk music that, that we were having here. And um, it just kind of stuck. I like the name of it, you know, because I think they're all, you know, I'd play in any one of their groups. I would be their soldier any day of the week. So I wanted to give them something that kind of honored who they were and that they sure. were special. Yeah. You know? So where was this album done? This album was done in Chicago. Okay. Um, it's kind of a, a dark story, if you want to hear it. Um, Great. We're having so much fun. But um, so I got COVID from my daughter, who was who had gotten her job moved over across from the Trump Towers and somebody staying at the Trump Towers gave her COVID, but I have diabetes. So I got very sick, 104 degrees, five weeks. Oh shit! And on the fifth week, my son died in a car accident. Oh. And he left me with his twin babies that were just about to turn two. And at this point, when I got sick, my friend Cheryl, who did a lot of my publicity and stuff, said, we should do a GoFundMe. And I said, no, wait, I want to make this record. And then he died and I just I couldn't didn't have enough money to put him in the ground, you know. Yeah. And so I said, all right, go do a GoFundMe. And um, it strangely went through the roof. I got more money than I needed to do that. But I was able to stop time for a while. And the only thing I needed to do to say thank you, the only thing I could think of was to make this record and make it with no instruments left in my imagination. And so I called Rob Fraboni, the producer of, of Planet Waves and, and Goat's Head Soup and, and everything else. I called him because he was my friend and talked to Ricky Barnes, who had the studio here in Chicago and was my guitar player. And in eight days without a rehearsal, we recorded this album. Damn. Now, with the and songs, did you already have the songs? Were you writing them, writing those? I already have the songs, and okay. I make a leave. I, I don't even call them demos. I make maps because I have. I do a lot of film score work. I know how to pick the right kind of things to do horn arrangements and things like that. And then I sent them out to these people that I played with, some of which had played these songs live, and others that were new things. And that was um, a way of them being able to do their homework and get it. And these guys were starving to play. It was in the middle of the pandemic and they didn't give a shit, you know, cause when you line up five horns, yeah, they can't wear masks and they just knew it. Now the trombone player, Andy had to live in the basement until he got tested because his wife wouldn't let him back in the house after the session. But the fact of the matter is everybody took the bullet for me because I, they knew my life was, you know, 
that I was doing this two months after and that I was a basket case, that I was crazy. And I thought the funny thing about albums is you think they're going to heal you, but albums take. They don't give, really, you know. Yeah. And so I'd, we just sat every day and made this record. And then we, we went out to Stamford, Connecticut, to the studio and mixed it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a real place in time. And that's what I love about it. It's an actual moment in time. Now, having said that, I love the records of Curtis Mayfield. I love Donny Hathaway records. I love big arrangements. Um, and I wonder if they're ever going to be back. This record was made and financed by people's love for me in a time of supreme grief. But does it take a cat catastrophic moment for artists to make the record they hear in their head anymore? Yeah. And that's a big question because there's no way I'm going to make my money back on it, you know, or the amount of money. And people aren't going to do that very easily anymore because we can't tour as much, you know, and stuff like that. But we still need to make these beautiful records. And people like friends of mine, like um, David Murray, the sax player, who's a lovely arranger, he can't afford to make those kind of records anymore that he made when Black Saint Records was around. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's all good and well for people that are huge pop artists. But look, man, there's a lot of music to be made out there. And you can't. And if you're a person that likes to capture great musicians, you need a good studio and you need microphones and you need everything else. What's going to happen? To, what if you're not a pop artist anymore? You know, good I don't want to have, you know, good it, it good shouldn't have to happen this way is what I'm trying to say. You know, we live in a, a in a beautifully cultured country and it needs to be celebrated. And we are the infantry of the digital age and we've had our ass kicked by it. So kind <laughs> well, of a strange Chris, world. Uh, right? You gave me this tune, Amanda and the God's Honest Truth. Let's play it. Yeah. Story of Amanda, aka Andy. Dark, you can feel his anger growing. The 
footsteps get louder like a beeping of a radar. Then her eyes are shut and tight. Is it fear inside the knowing that keeps the air wind blowing? The roaring and decisions, the beatings and the bruises, the weakness and the shame of it, the countless sad excuses. Was it Jesus or the devil's hand that kept her in the hide? Was it promises that night she found her? Fully loaded 45 on Independence Drive. You could say this is the story of a hero. You could say it's just the folly of the damned. You could say it's just a lie, a box of gold. But it's the God's honest truth. At least that's what I'm told.
show start off that chunk of music Nicholas Tremless and the Prodigals with Amanda and the God's Honest Truth then Ray Shin Parapet Parapet a place with no name from Babes New York City that, that band name just I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Sergio Leone in the band yeah, you know yeah Okay, and then Tom with uh, live piano playing at Thessaloniki. That's in Greece, huh? And finally, yeah, Nicholas Tremulus and the Prodigals. Let it out. So, uh, 
process. Do you, you carry a little book of uh, lyrics? Um, no, but I always write them down on paper. My, my main thing is, um, at least at this point in my life, I, I never have writer's block. I mean, it's always there. But something exotic's got to pull me into writing again, some reason to do it that makes me feel excited. Uh, Reloving Afro-Cuban music was was the reason that this record came out. That's why I have two percussionists in the band, because I just, you know, my old man took me to 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 see Eddie Palmieri when I was 11 and expounded on the piano players and all that stuff. Yeah. And I just kind of brought back in really the inspiration on this record is about 12 blocks in Chicago. You've been to this town. You realize that you I was can conceived hear just about in it. that town. I was born in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, but I was conceived in Chicago, Illinois. Well, that's a good thing, you know. <laughs> my mom, she told me the address. I hope you know your father. <laughs> you, there was a, probably still is great. Show. It's a, a boot camp for the Navy, and that's where he was. He was like eighteen, nineteen years old, eighteen years old. The old, the old naval base. I don't know if it's. I don't believe it's here anymore, but I know where it was. <laughs> right, right. Great Shore or Great Lake Lake Shore. I can't remember. Anyway, so I have a connect. So tw 12 blocks of downtown is what this album's about. Yeah, well, it's 12 blocks any part of the city because you can hear every kind of music. You yeah. Know, yeah, segregation ain't the greatest thing in the world, but what it did was preserve Greek town, Ukrainian village, uh, Puerto Rican town, uh, little village, Pilsen, the Mexican part of town. And, and you can hear authentic and eat authentic and dress authentic in any part of Chicago. So if you walk just about 12 blocks, it's like, walking the world yeah I, I, when i first started I touring did. when i start yeah started touring in the early 80s chicago was the most northern town you could get real mexican chow right Comidas, third largest mexican community yeah you know yeah. So. way back it wasn't like a trendy thing that was a neighborhood yeah north yeah. side right right yeah. and so that's that's the whole and south side to 18th street Pilsen area, but but that's kind of all this is was just I got old enough to be able to combine all those streets, you know. You know, I read the um, Tom Swed book on uh, Sun Ra, and he, you know, he's from Birmingham, Alabama, but he goes up to Chicago and Fletcher Henderson, right? The R and B stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's trippy how Chicago gets overlooked, man. Big shoulders, big time. Especially well, you know, that's the, the weird thing. That's what they. They call it the second city, you know. Um, I don't know if it's that way still, but we all had a chip on our shoulders a little bit. <laughs> me and me and Munch, Daryl, Daryl Jones, who I played with a lot and stuff, yeah. we were talking about the fact that we we rehearsed really hard because we figured from where we were, we had to get the job. You know what I mean? Sure. There was a little anger in all of our rehearsing. <laughs> Well, that wind, I I'll tell that. you, that wind coming off the lake can be a little biting on the, you're talking yeah, about chilly there in Hudson, but man. <laughs> it's a pissed off city, you yeah. know what I mean? And summertime, I mean, summertime can be pretty blazing, sweaty, humid, yeah, oh my God. No. Yeah, just, it's not a north-south thing, it's uh, east of the Rockies. Not free. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're at the end of it's the second hour, free. October 23rd, 2021, Dish Pedro's special guest, Nicholas Tremulous, pull tap for hour three. October 23rd, 2021, it's the third hour, a lot for Pedro Show.
find the vigor of my youth. I find it hard to pull the trigger on what's true. If the future has arrived and the DJ can't be lied, tell me why you wear that shit when you ain't heard the MC5. I'm fucking tired. I'm motherfucking tired. You heard me. These slogans that keep running through my head Like two bargains on a snow hill made of dread Too much has been decided by a face so unrequited And it makes him so delighted when they see us so divided I'm fucking tired I'm motherfucking tired Running around from one place to another Is he being chased by some contorted royal brother Another siding on the train With lines like methadrania But I it's like cicadas Looping through me like tornadoes Fucking tired Walking around without a care It makes them disagreeable The trouble unforeseeable That hounds them down like fugitives And knocks them out like pugilistic Heavyweights with crooked gloves Tortured saint, tainted death That's around your head Like lyrics of the dead A poison pen that's spitting fire Contaminated choir And recipients of tenements Are drowning in the sediment And golden shower presidents Is all so decadent And I'm fucking dying I'm motherfucking tired huh? I'm fucking tired Ooh, I'm fucking tired I'm so tired I can't stand myself Fucking tired
creeping through my window Another day begins And memories rush in to steer me on my way Will it be the same as yesterday? Is someone looking for me? Take me down or take me higher I walk in a cold street with a warm heart Drunk and gorgeous on a Saturday night I walk in a cold street with a warm heart Drunk and gorgeous on a Saturday night
to know that you so far float upon the air an unnamed star is what you are baby I'm walking a car Start off third hour. Nicholas Tremless and the Prodigals with fucking tired. Yes, a true story, people. Uh, reboot with part four of the Gullum. Michael Morley. Uh, I think there's two more parts. Uh, Cold Streets, Warm Heart. Drop Dead Gorgeous Saturday Night. Nicholas Tremless and the Prodigals. So... You know, all this uh, action in Chicago, but right now you're in Hudson, New York. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a musical prodge. It's a, a you're on a. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it's it's really kind of interesting. I, I learned one thing about it. Rob told me that, uh, for, Rob Trevoni told me that the live room at this place, which is the church, is one inch different than the B room at Abbey Road. Yeah. And I thought, that's insane. How is that? And it's because both Abbey Road and this church were designed by a thing called the Golden Mean, which oh, yeah. Leonardo da Vinci used as the dimensions of what a room should be in a cathedral and in an abbey and in everything else. So how strange is that? You know, That's I true. love that. Have yeah. you been to the one in London? Never, ever. It's, it looks like, uh, you know, somebody was just on the show. We were talking about this. You would not think it's the studio. It looks like row houses. Looks like huh. it's in a neighborhood, you know. Yeah, very yeah. unassuming. And well, I heard in uh, by the time I recorded there, they weren't doing it anymore. But they used to like wear lab court coats and shit there. <laughs> That's right. That's why I like working with Fergoni because he studied with the lab coat boys. Ah, okay, you know? okay, yes, it's amazing stuff, especially that uh, uh, Delia Derbyshire and the BBC Workshop stuff, you know. Like themed uh, mm. Doctor Who. Yeah, all this. They weren't even using synthesizers. These were like tapes and oscillators. Yeah, all that Mellotron and stuff. Right, 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 right. And yeah, literally uh, t a tape going uh, doorknobs and all that kind of stuff. So so <laughs> this prod you got going, they're building yeah. the studio now. Yeah, they are. It. We're going to record some of it at uh, the same place that my record was made, Rax Tracks Recording which is a studio owned by my my guitar player, Rick Burns, who's also a great engineer producer. So yeah. we're going to do part of it there and then part of it here when it's ready to be done here, it sounds like. 
And, and uh, it's Sean Walsh, the last name with a has an E at the end of it, and he's he writes sturdy as hell, man. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, because you said off air, you said we're doing right now what me and you are doing. Yeah, and we're just talking. Well, that's what songwriting is. You just okay. start, you know, a big part of it of a relationship is just talking about your lives and the, the, the sort of flagpoles that that popped up, the things you learned. And then you go back to the song and the writing's easier because you have this shared past. You, you have to create a shared past, don't you? I mean, um, otherwise, you're just an employee and you can't be an employee when it comes to the song, except for the song. You know, it makes you more selfless about things and realizes that your lives are entwined, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Aiden and Abet in the tune is the main responsibility, obligation. Right. You know, we work towards the song and that's that's it. That's the other great thing. You know, it's just if you join a band and there's a boss, something's wrong. The song's always the always the boss, don't ah, you that's think? A great, that's a great way of thinking. Well, I didn't become a I became a musician to feel free to have liberty. I didn't become a musician to work for somebody. Good God! No, but you, you kind know? of do work for the song. I learned that as a bass player. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's why bass is so beautiful. You lucky bastard! It's, it's not the most <laughs> notes, right? It's always the search for the correct notes. But humans, the yeah. more they do something, the more they got to pile it on. With bass, we get smaller and smaller if we do that. You, you can't play yeah. the most well, notes. You know, it's, so, it's so exciting. You know, I get excited about Paul Chambers on Coltrane stuff. The oh, way he man, plays. Paul Chambers, Jesus. But I get just as excited about listening to Satisfaction in that major bass against that. You know pentatonic guitar line it's absolute bloody genius as much as night in tunisia as anything else i get just as excited you know yeah yeah that's trippy i think keith richard right i don't i don't yeah. know if that's bill wyman it might be keith richard but well it, you know it, it's it really is an that's problem. the way he leaves out notes you know we call that working the holes yeah. playing the holes it's a yep. trippy. It's a trippy thing. But on bass, you, probably drummers have to learn how to do that stuff too. Yeah. You gave me this tune. Interesting. Uh, J. Paul Getty. Yeah. It's like J. Paul Getty. Motherfuckers with machetes, reflections in a golden eye, in the land of lies. It's like Jay Paul Getty, motherfuckers with machetes. In a golden eye in the land of lies. It's like J. Paul Getty, motherfuckers with machetes, reflections in a golden eye in the land of lies. I woke up someone else today. I barely recognized me. I was a stranger to myself, yeah. And all my words were disillusioned. Right from wrong was in confusion And I can't say why 
When a man is afraid, he doesn't perceive. So it almost always happens that that of which one is afraid doesn't exist. I am very
So hear me, warriors. Hear me, mothers. There is no pay in slaughtered brothers. that are necessary to carry off this type of operation. So OTs do best with OTs. The mission of organizations is to form the first part of the bridge up from the walk world up to the level of clear. It is as far from clear to OT as it is from walk to clear. Organizations are performing their actions in this very splendidly. The only thing that they could improve would be holding in ethics more strongly uh, and getting tech more exactly rendered, having their examinations uh, more precise and since endless trouble uh, comes from misdeclares, and expanding further and so forth into the public more quickly. This is what organizations ought to be numerous doing. Fellows who have the individual auditor and Scientologist being is performing his mission uh, very, very well and is doing marvelously. You there find yourself with fires occasionally set by tramps who need a job. In the lower grades, you find all sorts of interesting complications, and his but own very little viciousness. There was a fellow there who kept telling me that he was the on the run because he had taken uh, a knife to a fellow and stabbed him in the belly. With the environment and the world in which he, he lives, telling me that this was and why he with was this on concern the run. comes the realization that all and has not told me been well, enough till I finally and it is very true that a great catastrophe occurred on this planet. And in the other 75 plants, which formed this confederacy 75 million years ago, it has now, since that time been a desert, and it has and been the lot of just a handful uh, to try to push its technology up to a level work, where someone might adventure forward, penetrate the catastrophe, and, uh, and undo it. However, we well on our way to making this occur. Off his feet, so I As one's ability to confront I, increases, his level of responsibility increases. And an he OT was on another crew an OT by the time I left the area, and I went back to Helena. Or a universe and when I got which back to Helena, I said to myself, well, I'll Although never see those boots again. the scope of the work is almost unimaginably extensive, this fellow stole a car and drove 200 it miles. It is nevertheless true that we are making definite and positive inroads upon this, and we will bring it off. We are no longer dealing with the time span of man, which is 70 years, and we are dealing me my with boots. the centuries. And, then and he drove we the have enough time at the upper levels to bring it on, providing have we work quickly enough at the lower levels and within the framework of the life. society itself to but prevent it from destroying scared. itself they before are scared we attain police, however. our purposes and goals. It possibly is a bit above your reality to say that we intend that to salvage this sector. No one has. We have a bunch of people who are scared, years. so they go and we get themselves the a job, and then talk this in period in the believing that they have to be armed to the teeth and misery with steel teeth. Life is not necessarily a miserable And then mess. you have a bunch of and fellows who are scared of authority is not and orders, if that they're only really as scared of orders. It is very easy to remedy take the general situation. There are many, 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 many people out in the society when you get these two elements opposed and you get newspaper stories, you get crime. That you get the all of the histories uh, that you read is actually in the designed FBI files, to stop or impede such a movement. And you as get ours. this problem called criminality. 
is not of any great I don't great know what would happen if you suddenly removed all the police. We have already mastered... I, I don't know, really, what would happen. ...those things necessary to I don't know what would happen to police if you suddenly removed all the win. criminals, but I can guess. They would start, as they are doing today, attacking the common citizen. They evidently uh, rarely arrest the criminal today. They will arrest, however, the honest citizen. If you read of some honest citizen being shot, you will read the next paragraph how the police are investigating him. Somebody, a minister shot, the police are investigating his past. No, no word said about where the fellow went that shot him or whether the police were onto them or not. Watch that, because it is a symptom of police closing terminals with the criminals. It's the deterioration of the game called cops and robbers. Television is televising it out of sight. When the cops and robber game is gone, then there will be no other plot that anybody can film for television. They've already worn, worn out the cowboy in the white hat and the cowboy in the black hat. That's... No one did that's gone. I mean, nobody will look at that anymore. Uh, they just say, well, that's, I know how that's going to turn out. The fellow in the white hat's going to win. They've been conditioned to believing this, so it's no game condition. It's against the law to have the fellow in the black hat win in those cowboy pictures, and they ruin the game. organizations, and those people who are making slighting remarks about what is going on are simply in their own way trying to stop the forward progress. All they will really succeed in doing is stopping themselves. In that, you have not heard of me uh, directly, or from me directly, here for some little time. I thought I had better have a talk with you and tell you what it was all about and tell you where things sat now. And I can assure you that anyone connected with the great catastrophe of ages back has been dead almost the same length of time. They brought about the catastrophe and they perished within six years. We do not have any enemies except suppressive, dramatizing men who are themselves the victims of something that happened here. From here on, the world will change. But if it changes at all, and if it recovers, it will be because of the Scientologist, it will be because of the auditor and his technical skill, it will be because of the organization and the organization staff member and his dedication. In all the broad universe, there is no other hope for man than ourselves. This is a tremendous responsibility. I have borne it too long alone you share it with me now. This is, however, the game in which everyone wins, no matter what ethics action is taken, no matter what activities go forward. In the ultimate, everyone will win. I am very thankful that you exist. I need your help. I need your support. And no matter what you are doing in Scientology, outside or inside organizations, you are helping me, and you are helping us, and you are also moving forward to the resolution of aberration, war, and dismay in this universe. An essential difference between us and those who make mock of such efforts is we know where we're going, we know what we're doing, 
for a savior Trying to hide a desperate behavior And when I comes I hope it will save me But part of Jesus always betrays me And I can't be found I won't be found can't be found, I won't be found. I see my life in silhouette, backlit by a sun that steals away my flaw. When I float out the door, I see my life in silhouette, a featureless futurette, a world burned dry. For a boy so wet And I can't be found I won't be found I can't be found I won't be found Cause there's trouble on the streets Wild madness and trouble on the streets Shake it for me, pump up the volume till I can't see the trouble I'm in that's coming to win. Sweet mama, please shake that ass. I'm banging out beats on the mercy seat. I'd hit the gas, but I got no feet, and I can't be found. I won't be found Big Chief says he's coming to town To grind my bones below the ground With his hammerhead hands And his razor teeth Big Chief knocking on my door With vengeful eyes and settled scores He wants to be made whole But it won't find me Cause I can't be found I won't be found I can't be found I won't be found Cause there's trouble on the streets 
frustration, man, trouble on the streets. Babies in cages and troubles on the streets. Dying alone and trouble on the streets. Block from Pedro shows final music for this edition. J. Paul Getty started out. Nicholas Tremulous and the Prodigals. Then L.R.H. in his own words, my guest, L. Ron Hubbard, people. Part three of three special collections. This was uh, Sam Rowell. Rowell was on the show a few episodes ago. And her little side thing besides playing bass. And finally, Nicholas Tremulous and the Prodigals with I Can't Be Found. So, t- tell me about this J. P- uh, Paul Getty. It's based on a childhood uh, memory? You you remember when we were youngins? Um, you were probably too young at the time, though. Um, I'm actually but, older than you, Nick. I'm 63. I'll be 64 in December. Okay, so what were the 50s like, man? No, I'm joking. Okay. So, um, um, there was this, you know, I'd never heard of J. Paul Getty, but his, his grandson got kidnapped. That's right. You remember this? And they asked for they asked for three million dollars, I believe, is what it was for him. And the grandpa said no. And so they, and which freaked me out because it was always in the news. And so they cut off the grandkids' ears right. and sent it to the grandfather. And he said no. And this is frightened me as a child. And a year and a half later or so. They finally agreed at $300,000 and they let go of his grandson, who I think a month and a half later committed suicide. Yeah. But it, 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 it made me realize as a kid w- that there was greed in the world. And, and that's how that idea, you know, it was just something that haunted me all my life that someone's grandpa could do that. Yeah. And, and it just I was driving in a car and it just came to me like Dr. Seuss. J. Paul Getty, motherfuckers with machetes, reflecting <laughs> golden that's what, eye. That's what you say, fun. motherfucker with machete. Yeah. Yeah. Reflections in a golden eye, yeah. because I'd read that book as a kid by Carson McCullers in sure. a land of lies. And that's all it really was, was just this sort of Dr. Seuss rhyme that rolled in my head. In fact, I was picking up Rick Rizzo and I said, hey, what do you think of this? And he said, wow, that's wild. He said, but what the hell are you going to do with it? I said, I have no idea. And then that song came, you know. You did something with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Got to do your best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and get something like that, you better do something with it. Otherwise, you're going to get Tourette syndrome, you know? Yeah, right. Now, this Hudson Proj, yeah. it ain't like prodigals, though. No, this is, a this is you know, more, you know, Sean writes sturdy. Th- that's the main thing. If I'm going to work with anybody, I'm basically a rock guitar player. I mean, I've, ba- I, I've backed up you know, beautiful jazz musicians. I've also played with Richard Hell, you know, yeah, I mean? I so it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, I love punk rock and I love everything. It's just, it's all sort of a culmination of things. Uh, if, if I had to say who Sean writes like, it's a bit like Steve Earle, but when oh. somebody writes, so he writes good, solid Louisville baseball bats. So they're not too hard to smack, Yeah, you know, that, that's the good thing. It's just when a song's sturdy, you can bat it around. That's why Dylan 
these days can smack his tunes all over the place because they're written sturdy enough, you know? Yeah. I like dirty song, you know? Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can take them any which way. You can interpret them the way you want to interpret them, you know? Which is love. And it also is one of these fundamental things that I uh, understand and I came to music as music and all that genre stuff is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That's for the record bins, you know, but it takes a few years. It takes a few years to climb over the record bin and see what's going on. You know, it's you know, point, if, if, if you, if you, if you don't let yourself be free in music at one point, yeah. man, you're like time stamped chicken trying to see over the wrapper to see when you expire. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, Greg, I'm going to wish you all the luck in the world with this new project, what you did with your prodigals, and you're going to go back and probably uh, do more music with them, right? I would think so, but one never knows, you know. Somebody asked me what my style was, and I said, probably unpredictability. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's something you can count on. (laughs) Yeah, who knows what's going to happen next. Absolutely. Nick, thanks so much for being on the show, truly. Thanks, man. I hope we get to play together sometime. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Bitchin'. I think we'd have bitchin'. a lot of laughs. Yeah, a lot of laughs. People, it's been October 23, 2021. Ditch what people, so keep your powder dry.